When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because in my mind, at least, one of the formative bands of the sort of hair metal movement was Motley Crue, which was, and they were founded by Nikki Six, who was at his heart, like a punk. Like he started out in punk bands and just like all, tried to fuse it with the sort of like big hair and makeup of Kiss. And that was the birth of what is known as hair metal today. I think, at least on some level, the sort of contiguity between those genres appealed to me. And I just remember being obsessed with hair metal for a while in high school, much to the chagrin of a lot of people I hung around and they even played men's with they They thought it was largely stupid with a few like exceptions here and there. But I, I dug it hard. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but we are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train, though I'm sure he will come up as he always does. And we are talking to a musician that reached out and said, hey, I'd love to talk music. So, James, welcome to the show. Hello. I am like totally pleased to be here. Yeah. So tell us a little about yourself. Where to start? So I'm a singer, a vocalist, a, the frontman of the galaxy's sparkliest rock and roll band, Hot Apollo. You can find us anywhere. If you just search for that name, we've got music, we've got videos, we've got everything online. You can find us, reach out, listen to our tunes. It's awesome. It's great stuff. Louder than thunder, shiny like lightning. That's Hot Apollo. So that's the foremost thing about me, beyond that, I'm a poet. That's how I got into music in the first place. I also dabble in acting here and there. But yeah, that's mostly about me. That's a good primer for my space in this world. I think that's a very good elevator introduction, really. The elevator pitch, right? So yes, I've listened to a little bit of music, a lot of energy, a lot of fun. I appreciate you sending me a link beforehand. We'll include some of those links in the show notes. But I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did you listen to as a kid? What did your parents play? All right. So I mostly grew up around Toronto, the unofficial capital of Canada. But I did spend a fair amount of my childhood in London, England with my father's family. And like, I, because he immigrated like here right before I was born, I do have a citizenship there too. So that was a good sort of like contrast. A lot of the music I remember hearing from my parents early on was from my mother. I think she generally had control of the stereo in the house and the car. My father could basically go along with anything in various aspects of life, whereas mother 
was very decisive in particular about what she liked. So that generally meant that she'd make taste decisions for various aspects of the household. And I very distinctly remember a fair amount of ABBA, bits of Eurythmics. There's that one Orinoco Flow song that always seemed to be playing when a mother was getting ready for a party or something. And outside of ABBA, or probably tied with ABBA, maybe slightly ahead, my mother's favorites was The Boss. In fact, one of the concerts I remember most vividly going to when I was a kid was a Springsteen concert where I was taking with my mother and one of her friends from work. And I just remember this cover of a song Bruce did. And right now I can't remember that song because I haven't thought about this in years until like right now. <laughs> but I just remember he was, and it's, yeah, this is like a sort of unearthed memory I'm just getting as I'm like rambling on. And he was just like doing the like opening. Oh, yeah, it might've been Spirit in the Sky. I don't know that for sure. But let's imagine it is because I think the vibes are similar. Yeah. And he was covering it and he was like playing the opening riff, like very bluesy. And like between bars, he just go, shh. And that just like really added to the ambience and caught my young mind. I'm like, oh, this is, this is impressed upon me now. And I've set a vivid memory of that part of the show and being taken out for like pizza or something with my mother and her work friend afterwards. And that's one of my sort of early formative concert memories with, with the Brucey. About how old were you when you saw him? I am terrible with numbers, so I don't Okay, the young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it one of your first concerts? I think so. Before, around the same time, I remember being taken out to a few concerts by my brother and his friends. Metallica and Ben Halen were among them. So I was okay. like, very fortunate because I, I, I love Ben Halen. I was, I think, I don't think Lee Roth was with them. When I saw them, and he's definitely my favorite Van Halen singer, especially because he has that kind of theatricality I really vibe with. Like he is, sure. he's not like he's, he, I don't think he's ever like necessarily played a role in a movie, but like that dude is an actor. And that's like my favorite kind of frontman. It's, it's a total like full featured performance. It's not just singing. It's like you are like given a, a show in all senses of the world word. And that is Lee Roth's vibe to the highest degree. So yeah. I always love that dude. We, in one of my other podcasts, we had a discussion about, we got a list of top front men and discussed who would you call a legitimate front man. And while they may be a leader of the band, they're not necessarily what you would call a great front man, right? Let's say like Don Henley and Grin Fly from the Eagles, they you don't really think of them as a frontman, even though they wrote a lot of the songs. Same thing for the Beatles, right? There, There's not. But you look at Freddie Mercury, you look mm-hmm. at Mick Jagger, and you look at Roth, right? David Lee Roth. They, and I love how you said it, they are putting on a performance. They are acting. They are getting the crowd engaged. They're going back and forth. And it is that performance. And that you're saying, and I could see that this was a huge influence on you, correct? It was definitely, I, let's think, I don't think I've ever seen David Lee Roth live. I was too young to yeah. remember which year it was, but I think it might have been Hagar at that time. Yeah. But I just, I do, I just I do feel like resonance with that sort of performer. Yeah. That's the kind that like, oh, it really makes me gravitate towards them in a bigger way because I feel it's a sort of like a sense of like kinship in a sort of style of performance. Like, oh, yeah. this guy knows what it's about in a way that makes sense to me personally. 
Whereas like, for instance, I'm like, I feel like, a, okay, for one thing, if you're doing an update 2023, 2024 version of that list, let's get James Buckman on there. But yes. um, secondly, I do feel, I, I never felt like a sort of born musician or innately talented singer even. Like my voice took a while to develop. I had to really be stubborn with it to get it to a place where it made sense to sing. And I'm still not a candidate for opera or anything, but I always felt a sort of natural affinity for just like being a performer, being the center of attention, drawing the spotlight, just being on stage and just giving everything to the back of the room, the back of the stadium, the back of the universe. You know what I mean? That was always something I felt I had within me. And that was from like my birth, something I had a vast urge to get out. And I did it every opportunity, even when I didn't really have a traditional outlet. I remember when I was in the grade school, I developed this justifiably condemnable habit of jumping up on my table in the middle of the class and just bursting into song. The song I most remember repeating was the first rock song I ever independently learned the lyrics to, which was an old offspring song called Original Prankster. I don't know why that song got in my head so much, but uh, that was like my favorite song for maybe that entire year. Uh, like maybe an entire year. And that's just, I was doing that. And I got, that's when I started getting in trouble with teachers and stuff, but well, it wasn't just the one teacher. Cause, uh, but yeah, just, I didn't, I wasn't, so I, I didn't have a band at the time. I was like too young to really think about that kind of thing. But I just knew I wanted to sing and just jump around and explode with the manic energy of rock and roll. Yeah. Do, as you started getting your teenage years and early, late teens, early twenties, what kind of music did you find yourself drawn to? So I, various, in a broad sense, anything that could even loosely be called rock and roll, that was like the sort of base of a lot yeah. of things. And punk rock definitely embodied a lot of what I liked about rock and roll, the sort of unrestrained passion that I sure. I remember in high school, I was very drawn to hair metal because again, it had the theatricality and that was a big part of it for me, but it also had at its core the spirit of rock and roll to the point that like, and also punk, because in my mind at least, one of the formative bands of the sort of hair metal movement was Motley Crue, which was, and they were founded by Nikki Six, who was at his heart, like a punk. Like he started out in punk bands and just like all, tried to fuse it with the sort of like big hair and makeup of Kiss. And that was the birth of what is known as hair metal today. I think at least on some level, the sort of, contiguity between those genres appealed to me. And I just remember being obsessed with hair metal for a while in high school, much to the chagrin of a lot of people I hung around and they even played men's with they, they thought it was largely stupid with a few like exceptions here and there, but I, I dug it hard. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You mentioned you were a poet. So did you... Have you always had that need to write down your thoughts in the form of poetry? That was, I think, one of my earliest forms of deliberate self-expression. Because okay. as I said, like when I was a kid, a lot of my singing and stuff, um, a lot of the, those outlets were like incidental. But because I don't think I had a sort of arts class in school that lent itself towards that kind of pre-expression in media acting or music. Like the music classes were very directed, like band class, clarinets and stuff. The, you could like audition for the school plays, but that was still, I mean, everyone auditioned in the school play. And I just remember that was like a tough thing to, to break into in a school like mine. And, uh, but English class definitely had room for a lot of free creative expression in the least directed kind of way. And so I quickly realized that writing was a very enjoyable and fruitful pastime for me and poetry was my favorite medium so i developed a knack for that or at least found one and that was what brought me into music in the first place in a sort of concerned way because when i got to high school and all my friends decided to start a band they didn't like my voice at all and, but they loved my lyrics. And they knew I had a drum kit at home because I'd started playing percussion in band class. So they said, you know what? You're not even a very good drummer, but you can at least give a beat. So play drums with us and we'll use your lyrics because they're fire and uh, we'll go from there. And eventually I realized I was the only one in these bands who had any sort of motivation to do anything besides jam on the same Neil Young song in someone's basement for 45 minutes at a time. 
was the only one who wanted to like write songs and play shows and do all the things that bands are supposed to do if they want to do anything besides jamming on the same Neil Young song while inebriated in someone's basement for 45 minutes at a time. So I got disillusioned with music for a little while and concentrated on poetry because that was something I could do by myself without having to rely on other people who could potentially disappoint me. Yeah. But I quickly realized that doing anything worthwhile has the potential for disappointment. You've got to fight through that. It's the same in love, right? If you want, if you want to find your love, you're probably gonna to have to wait for a lot of people who are gonna let you down. But you've got to keep going because the alternative is just giving up. And I don't like giving up on anything really. If I start something, I'm gonna keep at it. That is where my stubbornness shines in, a, in its most positive light. So I did eventually get back to music and I thought, you know what? I'm not good enough as a drummer to audition for another band as a drummer. So I'm gonna to have to start my own band. If I'm starting my own band, no one was around to tell me not to sing. So I'm just going to sing. And through that same kind of stubbornness, I got better at it. And uh, while I had to work on like refining my voice into sound that was more pleasing to the ear, what I didn't have to work on was the uniqueness of my voice. And I've realized that, that was a major blessing because a lot of amazing singers struggle to have a sort of easily identifiable voice. And that is my favorite kind of voice. Like the singers I most love when I'm just like hearing them and not watching them are the ones with voices that are immediately recognizable and unique to them, regardless of their objective virtuosity, right? Like people like Bob Dylan and like Mark Bolin, like you hear them sing and you instantly know, all right, that's Bob Dylan, that's Mark Bolin. Like you hear those dudes and it's like, yeah, yeah those are their voices. Yeah, as a Texan, right? You hear Willie Nelson, you know it's Willie Nelson. Whether you're a fan or not, you know that voice and you know that style. So let's talk about Apollo. When you know you decided, hey, I'm gonna do this, kind of take control of my own musical journey. If I start the band, no one could tell me, no, you can't sing. So talk to me through the what you decided to do and how you guys give me your origin story. So I remember there's this kid I grew up on a little like dead end street with by the name of Tom. And he went to a big arts college in Toronto called OCAD. And he met this friend and he said, James, I have this friend, his name's Dave. I really want to introduce you to. Because I think you get along like really well. You have the same sort of taste in music, rock and roll, kind of like glam vibes. I, like you guys are both very eccentric. I think you'd be, you'd also, you'd also be like a good sort of visual foil for you. I really want to introduce you to, because this is around the time when I started to get, did my toe back into music. And, and I said I was looking for a guitarist who could put some music to my words, because at that time I didn't really play any guitar. And I hadn't touched the piano since grade school. So I, at that point, I didn't really have any ability to write music by myself. I was looking for a sort of partnership, uh, what do they call it? I was going to reference those dudes who wrote all those, say, librettist and the musician, but the names got on my head. Rogers and Hammerstein? That's not right. Gilbert and Sullivan. That was kind of team dynamic. Although I suppose Rogers and Hammerstein was, whatever. And uh, we kept organizing these meetings and they kept following through. And uh, over a series of months, like just things kept coming up. Until we finally met on April 1st and wrote our first song, Tempest Honey, within 30 minutes of meeting each other. And that's still like one of my favorite songs we've done. It's actually going to be the opener of the album I'm currently recording with Hot Apollo. 
And uh, so that was the genesis of how to follow until life started to fade in other directions. He didn't, he realized he didn't really have it in him to be a full-time musician. That wasn't the path for his life. He decided to focus more on, on painting and other sorts of art that didn't necessitate being around lots of people. I don't think he liked that in the same way I do. He liked playing like underground shows for like his social groups and stuff. Like he, he's still a very talented musician, but the sort of large scale music scene was not for him. But then I realized why Apollo was born out of this partnership between Dave and me, but I quickly realized that's not where it's going to end. It's, it's spark dwells within my heart. And because of that, it's always going to continue at least as long as I'm around. So I've got to take it on myself to keep going. And uh, it is hard to find people with the right sort of drive and lifestyles that allow them to pursue music in a big way. But thankfully, I found a great group of musicians to work with. And even if they're not change, Hot Ball is going to keep going because I'm going to keep going. So you, you described your, a, a little bit when you sent me about your band. So explain to my audience what kind of band, what kind of music you guys are pursuing and performing. In, in what sense? You, like, how would you categorize you? Not that music necessarily needs a label, but if you were going to try to put a label on it. I like to call it Tempest Rock because it's louder than thunder and shiny like lightning. I love um, that. Yeah. But I, but I also would say like sparkly rock and roll. Yeah. I've heard people call this glam punk, which is I don't think is inaccurate. So I would also take that label. I think those are good bits of shorthand to yeah. present us to someone who has no concept of Hot Apollo. Yeah. And our vibe. So you mentioned, I take you guys are working to do your first album? No, we just put out our first full-length album a few months ago, it's called nice. Music, and it's available everywhere online, iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. We have a couple of music videos, even on YouTube. Anywhere you look for music and, find, and search for Hot Apollo, you will find us. Okay, um, good. And beyond that, we have a bunch of singles and one EP, and we're currently working on our second full-length album, which should be out towards the end of 2023. Okay, yeah, I just did a search, and you came up on Bandcamp and Spotify and so the others. So I will include links to that. What's next for you guys creatively? Perfect uh, album. In, in the immediate future, we have two big shows coming up. If you're possessed of any ability to get to Toronto by the end of March, we're playing a special charity concert for the Sophie Lancaster Foundation at Peace Tavern on the 25th of March before a big show at the rock pile on the 31st so both of those are going to be incredible events and it's been a while i played a few shows at duffy's recently it's a great little kind of like rock and roll dive bar in the middle of the city rock pile is a bigger venue i have not played in ages and i'm excited to be back that's gonna be a really good time too so that, that, that's our immediate future beyond that we're gonna we're gonna keep on with recording and we're always writing new stuff and just generally doing everything in our power to shoot our glorious music out to the furthest reaches of the cosmos. So Very that nice. is a sort of general ambit. Good. You mentioned, to go back a little bit, you mentioned you were very young and you went and saw Bruce. Have you seen him since? I have not. 
I, my, my brother and my mother made a special trip to New York a few years ago to see him. But it was one of those things, I think like he did something where he was, he, cause he, he I, I love his ethos. Like he's not about the whole like scalper game or he wants to know that like everyone in his audience is like true fans. Right. So I think there's some like kind of lottery or something where each household could like be like, you had to get on some waiting list or whatever. And I think there was yeah. a maximum of two tickets. And I was like busy with other stuff at the time. I, I let my brother take the second ticket, but yeah, so that was the last concert I remember. I don't know if he's been back to Toronto since. I'm not, I, I, honestly, I don't go to that many concerts as an audience member because I generally prefer to be up on stage and performing, but I've started going to more again recently. But also just, I, it's, it is, it's just, I, I don't, I'm not always willing to like jump through the hoops to secure a ticket five months in advance or whatever. I'm like, it's more, oh, uh, this cool band playing like this weekend. Cool, let's go and, and support them. That kind of thing. Yeah, he's so coming to he's coming to Toronto on November sixteenth. I just Googled. yeah. You know so what? that's maybe you put the fire under my feet. I'm gonna yeah. check that out now. To, so to yeah, that's So I will hear interviews with other creative people. For example, if you are a writer of dramatic series, let's say you're writing a procedural or some kind of drama, you tend to only want to watch comedies because when you're watching the drama, all is, oh, I would have done the act break here. I would have done that. You can't turn your brain off from editing in your mind. Same thing if you do a comedy TV show it, it is hard for you to turn your brain off and go, oh, that joke didn't work. I would have moved these around. So I can understand as a performer, it, and I have a little bit of that. I love to give, I love to do presentations to, to like either for business or something going on. And when I see a speaker, it is hard for me not to go, I would have done this a little different. And, and not that you're criticizing the person. It's just, you can't turn that part of your brain off. So I have two things to that. First, I actually seem to have less trouble with that than even people who aren't creative. Like I'll go to a movie, for instance, with some friends and maybe one of my friends will be like fairly harsh in their sort of criticism of movements. Oh, why did they do this here? I wanted them to do this here. And I never really have that impulse because I'm going to see a work of art someone else made. When I want a work of art that bends to my every whim, I will make it. Like I do that, right? Everything I make is tailored with my taste in mind, right? So when I go out to someone else's form of expression, I can just take what they're giving me. And I'm actually maybe one of, I might be like among the least critical audiences for anything in the world. I was like, oh, I'm here to see this thing. You're here to see this movie. You're here to hear this song, whatever. All right, I'll take it as it comes. But I have noticed that when I go out to like dance, a lot of the things I'm dancing to are not remotely the sorts of things I perform. And sometimes just because of what my friends like to dance to. But I think part of it might just be for like a, a change of pace, right? I'm in a band and I'm, when I'm in a band, I'm like the one who's doing the dancing, right? So it's like, I'm getting that, and I'm feeling that urge already. So when I go out to a club with some friends, it's often electronic stuff, like rage stuff, or like kind of goth stuff. It's like, I go to like some like, you know, like kind of 
punk events too, but there's far more variety. So I don't know if on subconscious on some subconscious level that plays a role. It might though. So that's an interesting point you raise. So you reminded me of a story. Pin Gillette from the Magic Team, Pin and Teller, talks yeah. about that people will come up to him and go, "You know what you are to do," and they'll give him a suggestion about a book or something. And he's, "You're right. I'd love to see that. Go make it." Right. And I think that's from your mentioning that sometimes that we do have that ability way back in 2015, when I first started this podcast there, I could not find a Springsteen podcast. I could not find anyone talking about Bruce's music and his fans, having fans give a chance to tell the story. So in the spirit of lighting a candle instead of cursing the darkness, I started it. And so I think that's a very healthy attitude of, because too many people, and now I'm going to sound like the grumpy old man, will go, why didn't they do this? Didn't they do this? And you're like, they told the story they wanted to tell. They built the characters and built the storyline they wanted to share. And you put it out, you hope the audience likes it. But at the same time, you've got to be true to the story you want to tell as an artist. Yeah, bro, you're reading my mind right now. That is the thing. It's like there's so much, like I, I like some so many people like just decrease their enjoyment of life in general so much by focusing so hard on what they don't like about things. It's all right, even if I'm like seeing something and there are choices that are made that aren't exactly like to my preference, like they don't stand out to me. What stands out to me is the stuff I liked about whatever I'm experiencing. In fact, I've never I've even had conversations with people about this where for instance my favorite star wars movie is attack the clones and for a while at least that was a lot of people's least favorite and people ask me why is that your favorite and i'd say i point out all these scenes and i like this like how like, these scenes have made huge impressions on me when i was a kid and still live like brightly in my mind and heart and it's oh yeah no yeah those were good parts like, yeah i did like that about it wow and after talking with me for 30 seconds they'd come away with a far higher opinion of that movie just because i allowed them to focus on something beyond these like negative nitpicks. Yeah. One and, of the, and two, yeah, go ahead. I was also going to say, I, I chose like Star Wars is a very good example for me specifically because I've listened to George Lucas talk about the art of creation and the criticisms he's gotten over the years. Because a lot of people in my mind have this, they have this, they definitely have this mindset where George Lucas, who created a franchise that brought them such joy ruined it later in his life by making all these decisions with the prequels. But that's not inaccurate. That's not accurate because it was always his creation and he was always going to do what was true in his heart. And like I, he told the story about um, his approach to filmmaking, right? And he remembered being a kid when his father, he was at home, he was playing with his toys on the driveway. When his father came home, and said, no, this is my driveway. He kicked his toys out of the driveway. Or took his toys away. Hey, don't be playing with his toys in my driveway. My driveway. And that uh, he had this uh, like impression, this memory burned on his soul of having his toys taken away when he was just trying to do, to tell his little stories with his like dinosaur toys or whatever. And he thought, you know what? I'm never going to let anyone take my toys away. From now on, I get to be in charge of the stories I tell. And I'm going to ensure that I'm never on someone else's driveway. And through the decades of his involvement with Star Wars, he was always 
going to do what you want to do. He's going to take input here and there. And like I, the Star Wars franchise is definitely born of many minds collaborating together, but he was the through line, right? It's like, I don't write every riff for Hot Apollo. It's collaborative, but like Hot Apollo began with me and it's going to keep going as long as I'm here. Now, if Disney wants to come and pay me $4 billion to IP rights or whatever, that's a discussion we could have. But as far as I know, it's always going to be in my hands. Or at least my hands are always going to be involved with it among so many other talented hands of these around me. But it's so that like the sort of contrast and incompatibility of those two narratives, the one narrative where all these fans feel as though they've had their toys taken away, and the other narrative where George Lucas is doing what he wants with his toys because they are his toys, like they're incompatible. And if you look at it with any sort of degree of objectivity, you've got to give it to the creator. He's doing what's true to his creative vision. And you're never going to please everyone, but he's being true to himself. And as an artist, I am immensely pleased by this. And I have like endless admiration for him as a creator because of that. And also, you look at his place in the world, there are auteurs and then there are like blockbuster directors or creators, right? It's rare to have someone who's like a billion dollar creator also be an auteur. Maybe Steven Spielberg? I can't really think of anyone else. So that's to be stubborn enough and driven enough to maintain that of fidelity to one's creative vision, unadulterated, even in the midst of that huge Hollywood machine, that's impressive. That is like huge, like gargantuan, like iron will energy. And I don't even completely know how we did it, but you did it. And mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of that. And, and if anyone has deserves to keep control of their toys, it's that dude, complainers. So yeah, I love that dude for that. And I also, I'm, I'm, coincidentally, I happen to like the decision, a lot of the decisions he made. So I was never complaining anyway. Yeah. As an audience member. Yeah, I love that. Who are, when you are listening to music, who are you listening to now? Right now, uh, the last full album I bought was the new Grills album, which they were, they probably still are my favorite band of a style that cannot even loosely be called rock and roll. Like, I don't think anyone okay. can really call them a rock and roll band. They have a lot of influences. A lot of stuff was in the music, a lot of ingredients. But, like, think you'd have to be, like, very cavalier to call them a rock band. So they're Got probably it. my favorite non-rock band and have been since a little kid. Especially because, again, even though they're, like, maybe especially because they're cartoons, they have a very impressive visual element to them, right? You go to the Grilled Show and you don't see musicians performing, at least not like human musicians as you would traditionally see them, but you're getting, the band has a very obvious identity and I love that about them. So I just bought their new album, but I haven't listened to the full thing yet because I'm planning to save it to listen to in its entirety with a friend when he gets back from some koozies on. And that's currently my plan. I don't know if, if schedules will work out, but I'm trying to save it for that eventuality. And if I get impatient, I might break that plan. But currently, that's my plan. I, that's uh, a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Good. James, is there anything else that I should have asked you that I haven't? There's 
always more for me to say. I can get into situations where I cannot stop talking, but I'll say this has been like an incredibly awesome and fairly like wide ranging interview already. I think you've definitely done your job. Well, that is very good to say. I think you've been a great guest and I've loved visiting with you. I end every podcast with what I call the Mary question. And if you're a friend, a fan of James and Hot Apollo, and you're listening to this, I'll give you a little background. Jay Armstrong was a high school English teacher that recently retired. But when he was teaching, he would take Bruce Springsteen's song, Thunder Road, and he would break down the lyrics. His students would treat it as a poem. And he would talk about the themes Bruce uses, the choice of words, and then compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, among other poems. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask the question, does Mary get in the car? So, James, that is your question. And if you need a few minutes, I can edit out the silence of look look at the lyrics of Thunder Road. If you want to listen to it, that's fine. And then answer the question, does Mary get in the car? So I'm not sure I have any sort of vast, intricate logic behind this answer. This is just what I feel in my soul. That's, right? the, that's what we um, want. Like this is sort of like the way you'd answer like a Cohen, right? It's, or, yeah. A, or a, yeah, or a Mondo perhaps. But I feel she gets in the car, but she doesn't necessarily stay there till the end. I think she's getting off somewhere along the way. I think she's getting in there, riding for a while, but eventually their paths diverge. That is a great answer. As someone put it once, he said, yes, she gets in the car, but when they stop at the convenience store for cigarettes and beer, she decides, maybe I don't want to go with this guy. <laughs> and she leaves. So Yeah, you uh, don't want to be with the guy who eats like ho-hos or whatever. Yeah, maybe exactly. A creaky kind of gal. That is a Maybe great that's our answer. difference. Exactly. All right, James, if someone wants to reach you and get more information about your music and the band, how can they? As I said, you can find our like, music and stuff everywhere. You search for music, like just Hot Apollo, wherever we're under that name. But also, if you want to find us, reach out to us on any form of social media. You'll find us, again, by searching for Hot Apollo. Okay. H-O-T-A-P-O-L-O. We're that everywhere. Yeah, so just, yeah, always reach out to us. If you have, you know, comments, criticisms, if you just want to ramble on me about anything, like my DMs are always open. So yeah, I'm around, I'm reachable. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was lovely. This was just a great conversation. You're welcome back anytime. Next time you guys, when the new album comes out, reach out to me. We'll run another episode. We'll promote it. And uh, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much. Listeners, go out there check out the music if you're in toronto go check out the stage show in the meantime be kind to each other be safe and we'll talk to you soon there we go another episode i'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback um so if you want to skip this i understand but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at setlustingbruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order.
My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.